Welcome to the New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White, and with me today we have Martin Theobald, Yo. and we have Terry, exclusively live from our London-based studio, <laughs> joining us via kind of Skype. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, live from the dirt chamber, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, because... It's our satellite office. Yeah. Because London's trains exploded because it rained. Well, well, there was a landslip on the London to Milton Keynes line, and all the trains are being somewhat schizophrenic. So I didn't want to be stranded there at half eleven at night. It's reasonable. Actually, I came um, I, I came home from work the other day in the morning, and it had chucked down with rain, and something had happened on the line. They were talking about derailment, and there was like, like flooding, flash floods, and that. And a load of trains have been cancelled, and you should have seen the people flipping out, <laughs> trying to go somewhere. <laughs> and the, all of the things you said, cancelled, cancelled, cancelled. I thought, what the fuck are you doing? If you work in central London, you are knackered at that point, aren't you? So welcome so, to yeah. New, Age, New Age Travel Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> people flipping out like crackheads. What are we going to do? <laughs> okay, right, let's go and start with Liam Smith versus Canelo Alvarez. Um, did you both see this? One of you see this? Who saw this? Let's, oh, let's start with Terry. He made the uh, the Skype effort. So I saw the fight, and my assessment was: I was watching the fight. I watched it live, and Liam Smith is this really strange boxer because it's like he can only do one thing at one time. Like he can't do two things at once. So Liam Smith will jab, but he can't move. So he has to stay in the same place, or he'll move, but he can't punch. So after a while, I think Canelo figured this out and he figured out if he's punching, he can't move so I can counter him. If he's moving, he can't punch so I can just come forward on him. And and all Liam Smith had an answer was that that northern hands up, cover everything up guard, which eventually Canelo went, well, I'm just going to come around the corner then. You want to put your elbows in front? Fine. I'll come around the corner and probably pop a couple of your ribs. You know, I was listening to the commentary and one of the disappointing things about Barry Jones in the commentary was it was like he was watching a different fight. I don't believe Liam Smith put a dent in Canelo at all. I don't think he posed him any questions and Canelo basically treated it like a glorified sparring session. Martin, what did you think? Uh, I would concur with uh, with what Terry said, I suppose. It was... Um... I think Joe Gallagher must offer out like four for one training sessions to the Smith brothers because they fight in the same way and you can chuck in Scott Quigg uh, and any other you know Gallagher fighter. What was abundantly clear is that there are levels between Pedrag Radjadjevic, Jimmy Kelly and Canelo Alvarez and Liam Smith hasn't prepared himself for that. Terry said it last week. It's going to be a very different thing when he gets in there and Canelo Alvarez has those little gloves on and starts laying gloves on him. Um, and I don't know. Like 
out of all the Smith brothers now, we've seen three of them challenge for world titles. Uh, oh, sorry, Liam Smith. <laughs> I'm essentially saying he challenged for that world title last night because he's been fucking handed the existing title that he's got. Um, so that was his first real fight with it. You know, Stephen Smith lost his first real fight, um, well, after the post Lee Selby one going back a few years. Paul Smith, you know, got destroyed against Arthur Abraham uh, once. You know, he kind of put up a bit of a challenge once. And now Liam Smith. But out of all of them, Paul Smith is probably the most successful of the three Smith brothers in world title fights, <laughs> ignoring the Liam Smith ones today. And that's how bad I think Liam Smith did in it. I don't think he was competitive at all. I think Alvarez... You know, yes, he's too big, and yes, there's a whole weight issue, but he's also too good. Uh, you know, weight aside, he was just too good for Liam Smith. Going back 12 months, who would we have said would um, have the most successful 12 months out of the Smith brothers? You would probably say Callum, but I think we were all waiting for Callum to get that big fight because Eddie keeps telling us it's round the corner. It's still round the corner, but that corner is becoming quite circular at present. Um, leading back to nowhere yeah so I don't know going back 12 months who would you reckon Terry so we were all looking at Callum Smith to go the WBC route because he'd kind of put himself in pole position for that one and you look at Callum and you go I imagine you'll be a handful for most people but when he fights a legitimate boxer which he hasn't done yet in my eyes when he fights a legitimate boxer we will find out who Callum Smith really is. I think for now, you know, the route, the expectation had always been Groves would beat Badu Jack and then Callum Smith would aggressively pursue that fight. Badu Jack beats George Groves and Jack is all wrong for Smith because he's fit for the 12 rounds, which is something Gallagher likes to prepare his fighters for, but he's also very consistent. His, his punch variety is limited but he's so consistent with it that eventually you'll drop your hands or you'll overcommit and Jack makes you pay. So he's very underrated and Eddie Hearn will steer Callum Smith the hell away from James DeGale because DeGale will take him out. Uh, so the question I have is why did, why did, why was there an expectation that Groves would beat Badu Jack and therefore they would want Callum Smith to fight Badu, uh, fight Groves if they're if they're still steering away from Badu Jack, do they not know anything about Badu Jack before that fight took place? Groves should have won that fight. So Groves is levels above Badu Jack. Had it not been for the knockdown and going off the scorecards that we that we received, Groves would have won that fight. But he he got Callum Smith. My own opinion is Groves would floor Callum Smith a couple of times on the way to a points win. So okay, so why would they? Why would they pursue Groves but not Smith? Uh, not bad. Uh, so you have to understand Eddie Hearn's mindset. He hates fighters having belts that he doesn't control. So if you're a British fighter and you have a belt or a profile, Eddie realizes that's revenue he can't make. So if Eddie Hearn can't make revenue from you, he'll try and destroy you, and that's what they did with Groves. If you remember, they were trying to say Groves was a bit washed up, he was a bit shop-worn, you know, let, let Martin Murray soften him up before we give him to Callum Smith, and Groves has dealt with all the challenges so far. So now I think they realise the old George Groves is back in a little bit better. Maybe we'll leave him alone for now. I'd hope that on the back of last night and Alvarez dealing so comprehensively with Liam Smith, that they're actually going to uh, take Callum Smith 
down a proper route now before they put him into a world title fight and actually get him a gatekeeper at that level. Get him a, a super middleweight, a former world champion. Um, even get someone, get someone like a Mikel Kessler out of retirement. Do you know what I mean? Like a Mikel Kessler, who's been out for a couple of years, would be ideal for Callum Smith to go in with and actually learn a few lessons about what it's like to go in at world level. Um, before you put him at world level, which is what they've done with all the other Smith brothers. And it's failed because I'm still not acknowledging the WBO title of Liam Smith until... Can, you... I, can I ask, should should Liam Smith be getting floored by by a punch that Alvarez took him out? It was a body blow, wasn't it? it was in the yes. Yes, he should. That's so. It's not. It's not a lack of skill, or you know, what is it a lack of in order? Do you know what? If you go back to how he fought, he had the guard where he had his gloves kind of touching his ears and his forehead. But what he did is he pinched the elbows in to cover the front of the stomach. So essentially, the six pack here he had covered. And if if you look at when he got stopped, he he got caught with the shot coming round the corner which hit the liver. And in boxing, we call the liver the off switch because you only have one liver. The first sign of trauma to the liver, the body tends to shut down, almost plays dead because you can't risk losing your liver. Otherwise, you are headed for, for a very quick death. But also remember, he got caught the first time to the body with his shot to the solar plexus and that poleaxed him as well. So he was he was kind of tenderized for that, for that second body shot anyway. Okay, so a question is coming from David McGinley. Who fared better out of Brooke and Smith in their respective fights? And where can each one go next? I'll tell you what, let's start with where does Alvarez, where do Alvarez and Smith go next? And then we'll move on to Brooke afterwards. So Terry, do you want to tackle that one? Or at least, tack- at least start, off, start us off. Um, so where does Alvarez go next? I think... They, they will make a lot of noise about wanting to fight Golovkin and they'll offer ridiculous terms that Golovkin will say no to and they will get Kel Brook over. So I think Golden Boy have mastered the art of having British boxers come over to the States. So why wouldn't you get Kel Brook over? He's still, he's a live opponent, he's a name and people would really like to see that fight. And it will be a big draw, it'll be a big fight. I think a lot of Brits would go over and what that would do is it would say to Golovkin, we put on a bigger show with Kel Brook than you did. That means we're the A-side by a long way. Yeah, no, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think for, for Liam Smith, he's not been at world level, so you can't say that he'll return to world level. And this is my major gripe with it. Is it because he's been a world title holder doesn't mean he's world level. He needs to go down... You've got Liam Williams fighting soon against Ahmed Patterson. Um, I think take on the winner of that. Liam Williams is a vicious puncher. Um, you know, make yourself legitimate in Britain first. I think Joe Gallagher bitched for so long before this fight about um, the British media not paying attention to the fight. Um, and, you know, how uh, there weren't the, the mainstream media going over to cover it. Um, well, yeah, because you haven't got a world title holder there. You've got Liam Smith who's beaten up some domestic level people. Like, legitimise your fighter first and then you've got a legitimate gripe about the coverage that you get but he needs to solidify himself in Britain first and you know I think maybe perhaps some of that would involve having to get off of Box Nation as well because it's not a platform that builds superstars Um, just on that I have a question 
Where, and this is more of a broader question, but like, when does a lack of experience in the sport become a lack of talent? Do you know what I mean? Like, if you if you're exposed to a hundred fights in your sort of winning and putting up good fights, uh, putting up good shows, if you're exposed too early, people say, oh, he hasn't taken enough good fights. When does it become right? Just simply not good enough. Because if you're young enough, you're old. You if you know they say if you're good enough, you're young enough. Oh, sorry, if you're old, if you're good enough, you're old enough. That kind of you get all these contradicting sayings that come into the mix. When when does that line get drawn? So so let's take Charlie Edwards as an example. Someone in the matchroom camp, maybe John Wishart, I don't know, maybe someone someone thought this would be a good idea. Um, there are a number of reasons why. It's hard to it's hard to match people at that weight anyway. So when a chance comes, take it. I think it was Al Heyman who made the call for that fight. So politically, you kind of have to take it. But if you'd watched Casemiro, you knew this was a guy who'd been in hard. So he was a tough guy. And Charlie Edwards, for all of his amateur skill and for all the wars he might have had in the amateurs, he hadn't had a professional war. So what happened with Charlie was it wasn't a lack of skill or a lack of talent that cost him the fight. It was the nous to say, this guy's hitting harder than me. I am not putting a dent in him. Therefore, I need to modify what I'm doing. He kept doing more of the same. So experience is being able to make those adjustments in the ring because you've been in situation X before. And that's what experience is. And it can happen at any age. So if you look at a lot of the Cubans, they could probably turn over at 18, 19. And they've seen most of the things they're going to see. It would just be a question of they need toughening up. So you'd stick them in with very limited but quite horrible characters to toughen them up. So in the old days of someone like a Dean Powell, he was a guy who took care of that. So he knew what your weaknesses were and he matched you. So you started to develop those weaknesses and turn them into things that, well, you just weren't scared of, of certain situations anymore. And that art of matchmaking seems to be lost. Which is a strange because you'd have thought that would be the first place that a coach would start. Like, you're strong in this area, strong in this area, but you're weak in these two areas. So let's work on those two areas to, to you know, I don't realize it's a basic example, but, you know, you kind of get the principle, right? Yeah, it's tricky, though. It's, it's so... Let's say let's let's take Martin. Let's say Martin has to fight in December. Yeah, I'm not I'm not in shape, mate. I uh, <laughs> I'm turning it down. You're doing it now, mate. <laughs> Terry signed you up. You injured your hand, plus your levels above everyone else that you could fight. <laughs> There's a vast chasm between. The... <laughs> no, but essentially, look, December Martin has to fight. I want someone who's going to test his ability to take body shots. I don't. Now, now, if there's no hard body puncher available in December, I've got to match him against the closest possible thing, which might not be beneficial. So it's, it's, it's a matter of timing as well when you try and get those sorts of fights. Okay, so looking at the undercard from the Smith-Alvarez fight, we had Anthony... Is it Yarda or Yard? How do you pronounce Yard. it? Yard. How did he do, Terry? Um, impressive. Took the guy out, matter of minutes. You know, you, there was no point in scheduling this bout for any number of rounds. It wasn't going to go that far. Um, and people say he took on someone who was limited, fine. But if anyone can get hold of the footage of the left hook that knocked the lad out, it's impressive because Anthony Arz put his hand out to jab. And from that position, he's almost managed to generate, like, you know, 
dynamite force just by stepping forward and twisting. And he's hit the guy on the point of the chin. The guy's fallen into the ropes, doesn't know where he is, and that's the end of it. And you looked at him on a Golden Boy card, and you just looked at him and went, I don't think this kid's out of place. But, and we were discussing this with some of the the amateur boxers today, and they posed that question, why why wouldn't De La Hoya sign Anthony Yard? And I said, in American boxing, you need a home base. You need a constituency. You know, Andre Ward has California. You know, he has Carson, California, I think it is. Um, you know, the Robert Garcia fighters have Oxnard. Mayweather had Vegas. You know, Malinaji has New York. Danny Garcia has New York. Like, promoters like to build you in certain areas. Look what they're doing with Terence Crawford in Nebraska. You know, they're trying to build local boxing markets. Anthony Yard doesn't fit into that model. He needs to come back here. I think he needs one gatekeeper fight, and then he should call out Jose Burton. I think that's the next logical stage for him to go to. And then, you know, is he is he a year off? Is he 18 months off facing someone like a Nathan Cleverly? Maybe. But he has such a bright future, you hope Box Nation and Frank Warren don't screw this up. He sounds like an exciting prospect. I heard you, I've heard you mention him before. And, uh, oh, the kid looks the part. You, you hear me say this a lot as well. When someone looks the part, you're more receptive to seeing them fight. So Anthony Yard looks the part. I, he, physically, he reminds me of a boxer called Tabiso Machuna, who fought Eddie Chambers at Cruiserweight. They're very similar builds, and I found it interesting that Anthony Yard came into the fight at 185 pounds, which is partway between light heavy and cruiserweight. Um, which suggests that his direction of travel would likely be towards cruiserweight. You know, could he make 175 pounds? I guess if there's a title on the line, yes. But you imagine his long-term futures at cruiserweight. Okay, smashing. Let's um, move on to previewing the Anthony Crawler versus Warglenares fight coming up this weekend, presumably. Yeah. Um, have I pronounced those right? Jorge. Jorge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> there are genuinely there are fans who enjoy memes. Oh, there are also those that get pissed off when you don't, oh, which, yeah. which amuses me even more. <laughs> so, Anthony Crowler and Jorge Linares <laughs> um, come together. How do you see this fight going on? I think we're going to see the end of the uh, momentum for Anthony Crowler. He's had a, a phenomenal last 12 months, winning the world title, um, you know, after drawing in that first bout, winning it in the second bout, defending it against Barroso uh, in a bout that he was going in as the underdog. He was going in as the underdog because Barroso had knocked out Kevin Mitchell and finished his career off. Um, simple as that. Kevin Mitchell was a washed up fighter by that point. Um, Jorge Linares is a fighter on the decline and as always with Eddie Hearn, uh, he's wise about who he gets and when he gets them. So Jorge Linares, um, you know, he's beaten Kevin Mitchell before in what was a, a cracking fight at the O2, uh, was that a year and a half back or so. Um, but he, you know, Hearn is very invested in Anthony Crawler, so he clearly sees this as the opportunity to uh, get Linares. Linares has been out with injury, which is why he had to vacate the belt, which is why they've made up this make-believe WBC diamond belt for the fight as well. Taking a page at the WBA belt. <laughs> yes. Um, which also gives Hearn the 
absolute ideal opportunity to say that you know the diamond belt doesn't ever get pulled. Fuck off, you prick. Um, I, I'm guessing that they see Linares as probably being in the same position Kevin Mitchell was when he fought uh, Barroso, which is you know at the tail end of the career he suffered from the injuries. Um, and Linares is still a, a big, probably the biggest name in the lightweight division. If Crawler takes him, then Hearn has, um, you know, with the eyes of the British public, the legitimacy to call Crawler the, you know, the main man at lightweight, um, irrespective of the likes of Easter Jr. and such like. I just don't see it happening. I, I say it's difficult because Linares has been out for however long now. He's been injured. He's he's frail. He's breaking. Um and Crawler is steamrolling at the moment. So, you know, all all signs would suggest to Anthony Crawler possibly having the upper hand. But uh, I think Linares is a wily old fighter. I think he's going to have too much for the, the fairly limited and one-dimensional Crawler. Um, I could be wrong. What do you reckon, Terry? When I look at Anthony Crawler, you know, I look at a guy and he's almost the archetypal Gallagher fighter where you've got to have that, that, that half litre of bottle inside of you, and then you've got to have that other half litre of stamina in you, and then you've got to have that really high guard and walk your guy down till he gets tired, and then you start to turn it on. Now, against Barroso, I think you know they underestimated Crawler and what he would do. I think Linares is smart enough now to know Crawler's going to really push in the second half of the fight. And I'm hoping he uses his experience to empty out Crawler's tank. So the things that Barroso didn't do, going to the body, you know, really attacking the arms. Because people don't realize in boxing, if, if I can really detonate on your arms and give you two dead arms, you're not punching as hard as you might want to. And, yeah. and these are tactics the wily old veterans would use. They'd slow you down that way because they'd say, well, let me slow him down. And then when I want to take him, take him out to the head, I've got all the time in the world. And, you know, little clever things like Canelo will do that as well. Just small little clever moves like that. And if Linares can pull that off, he's going to confuse Gallagher. Because if you notice in the Liam Smith fight, Gallagher doesn't have a plan B. Nope. And I'd be worried as a Gallagher fighter that everyone's getting exposed cruelly. The same as Quigg versus Frampton. Yeah, got exposed cruelly. And the last one left is probably... Uh, Callum Smith and when he gets exposed will Eddie Hearn then have to build a new super gym somewhere else yeah I mean uh, what are you predicting then what are you predicting for uh, Crawler um 40% of me says Eddie Hearn wouldn't have picked this fight unless he was confident Crawler would win but Linares has pedigree and it's about how much of that pedigree comes into the fight so I'm I'm going to go with Crawler for no other reason than I think they've seen something in Linares that is vulnerable. What about you? Uh, I'm going to pick Linares because I think as long as... If you get 80% plus of Linares, I think Linares wins it. If it's under 80%, I think Crawler wins it. Um, but we're not going to know until the night. So if I take a punt, I'm going to go with you... Linares because I think he's... He's a proud enough man and a proud enough champion over time that he wouldn't take it unless he felt he had enough left in the tank to go in. And He knows he's going to have to go to war with Crawler. Anyone that's seen Crawler over the last 12 months knows they're not going to have an easy night of it. 
I just think Linares must know that he's still got enough about himself that he can stomach that and take it and fight. And the irony is, at no point have we said this is a fight for who's number one in the division, because I think nah. we generally accept that neither of these two are. You know, I think I'd suspect Robert Easter Jr. versus Latter Cannon might resolve that question. Yeah. Um. Okay. Have you? Have either of you got more to add? No, there's no particular undercard to it either. It's uh, it's a bit of a wipeout since Isaiah Burton and Frank Buglioni got called off. Well, I'll tell you what I do find interesting is it's almost like Eddie Hearns emptied his tank of bullshit. There hasn't been that much crap coming out of Eddie Hearns' mouth in the build-up to this fight. I wonder if that's because Joe Gallagher's been tied up over in America with Liam Smith. There's quite an interesting interview with Joe Gallagher, actually, where he was talking about... There was a bit of dissension between him and Eddie Hearn, clearly, because he was talking about Hearn isn't always risking not getting the best out of Anthony Crawler next weekend because Joe Gallagher's been over in America with Liam Smith. And he pleaded, apparently, with um, Eddie Hearn to get the Crawler fight on at the beginning of September rather than the end of September on the basis that he would allow him more time to spend with Crawler because he's now missed the last you know week of training camp or uh, a significant part of the last fortnight of training camp. Um, and he was clearly not happy. He was saying about Freddie Roach over in America gets far more of an input into when his fighters fight on the schedules. How, how far into the uh, build-up to the fight did he ask it to be moved to the beginning of September? I, I think when the fight was mooted, I think he said that oh, he wanted okay. it at the beginning of September. Um, and I, I think it was meant to be, but if you if you remember, it was meant to be Crawler Linares on pay-per-view. Um, and then it was meant to be one of the fights, I don't know if it was meant to be the Brook fight or the Eubank Jr. Golovkin fight, that wasn't going to be on pay-per-view. And then once the Vargas fight fell through, they had to commit to a pay-per-view date, which was September. So they, Eddie, I think Eddie was locked into that date. Yeah. So I, so think, I, yeah I think Brook Vargas was going to be off pay-per-view, which would have meant that Crawler could have boxed in early September. Yeah. I say Either way, I mean, Joe Gallagher clearly wasn't happy about the situation. Um whether that leads to dissension, who knows? I bet he needs him too much right now. He does, he does. Does Joe Gallagher need him, is the other way of looking at it? It's, Probably not. No. I just want to ask you both, um, since the question that's coming to my head, which is, can you... I'm not entirely sure where you're going to draw the line here, but, I mean, a stab in the dark, must, maybe we'll say less than 10 fights. Can you name the three most exciting prospects in 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 boxing at the moment? You know, the less than ten fights. Fucking hell! Uh... There's not three that <laughs> jump out at you. Top of my head. The reason I say that is because obviously, just to give you a few seconds to everything. But like, um, you've spoken about Anthony Yard and said that he's um he's a he's a, a decent fighter, and you see big things potentially from him. And I just wondered if there was other boxers that just leap into your mind as um you know potential stars of the future. Uh, I think if you're talking stars, Connor Ben's probably got to be up there just because of name recognition. Um, you know, he's developing better than he probably looked after two fights. He's now looking all right. Um, and he's going to have the backing of Matchroom. Like, if you've got anything that's going to make you a star, it's the name Ben and it's the Matchroom money behind you. I would put him in there. Um, shit, who else? Uh... <laughs> Terry, let's do this. Let's do a joint three effort. Um, so I'm going to throw Craig Richards in there. Um, 
Craig or Spider, as they call him, I think is super talented, is tall at the weight, seems to make super middleweight easily, which means he can grow into it. So he could probably walk around a stone heavier than he is now. And that means he can add more more muscle, more strength, because he hits hard enough as it is. So he, he has so much upside to him. And he lives life the right way. He has no distractions, stable guy. You know, his whole setup's geared towards success. And he's also good at moving tickets, but he moves under the radar. So I put I put Craig Richards in there. Um, I'm going to put a punt out there and say, you know, we've got to look to some of the guys who are turning over now and say who's really doing it. And someone like a Lawrence O'Coley, you know, if he gets the right setup, if he ends up at the SW gym up in Loughton or Hainault, wherever it is, you know, the right sort of guidance, he looks like he's decent. Um, but to be honest, the guys who are really doing it are still in the amateurs for me, especially the big men. So Daniel Dubois up in Sheffield, you know, he's sparring Anthony Joshua on a daily basis. And apparently, sometimes he's giving him trouble. And Daniel Dubois is 19. But he... <clears throat> He looks the part. Like you know, kid's been boxing since he was thirteen. He he's been in with the best. You know, rumors of him having knocked out Isaac Chamberlain. You know, rumors. Um, and I'm going to throw my lad Courtney Bennett in there. You know, I was with him today, and there are some people that just look impressive. And if he decided to turn over tomorrow. I imagine he would have no end of suitors. I think he'd go as far. I think Frank Warren would sign him tomorrow. You know, sticking with someone like a piece of fury and the kid's gold. So I think that there's a lot of talent floating around. But in terms of like in the pros, guys like Reese Bellotti, you've got to put your name down on him. I never know if O'Hara Davis is under 10 or over 10 now. <laughs> um, I'm going to pick one yeah, completely under the radar. I don't know if you're aware of him or not, Terry. Um, a lad I enjoy watching when I see him down at York Hall is Brad Pools. I don't know if you know him, Terry. No, where's um, he from? He's from uh, Newquay, down in Devon Way. Wow. Um, but he's... Oh, Cornwall, yeah, is it? Sorry. Oh, shit, yeah. Pasty versus cream <laughs> tea or whatever. Um, yeah, but he's moved up to... Uh, he's training with Terry Stewart up at... Uh, Terry Stewart up at Club KO. Um, three fights at middleweight, three knockouts. I don't think any fight's gone beyond two... Um, and he's just a, he's got a highlight reel video. He knows how to market himself, Brad. He's a very, very nice young lad. Very good looking young lad. Middleweight could probably get down to light middle, I suspect. Um, trains like an animal all the time. Uh, he's, he knows how to market himself. He's got a nice little, um, highlight reel video of his knockouts from the amateurs. Uh, and there's some impressive ones. And I say, having seen him, I know he's he's a Steve Goodwin fighter, and I know they have trouble matching him because they've tried various styles now to try and make him last a few rounds, as you do with the the youngsters. And he's knocked out each of them within two rounds, uh, which is an impressive thing for anyone at that level to start off with. He also shifts a large number of tickets. Uh, you're looking at like 200 plus or whatever, probably I'd suspect, which is always a bonus to any promoter. Um, you know, he's not at a level yet where you'd start looking at area titles or anything like that because he's not getting the experience because he keeps knocking these lads out. Um, so I know they're going to have to start looking down the kind of British journeyman route, somebody who's wily enough and tough enough and ring hardened enough to, uh, to take him a few rounds. 
And it'll be interesting at that point to see, you know, if he if he does it. I've seen him train in the gym. He can get a little bit frustrated if it doesn't all go his way. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he progresses. But it's just it's a name to throw out there and, uh, and keep an eye on. I don't think other names. Uh, just another couple. I never know if Daryl Williams is under over 10 either. But Daryl's been off the radar for a while. And, you know, they need to stick him in with Leon McKenzie. Just get that, get, get that tension resolved. Uh, second name I'll throw in there is Boy Jones Jr. Because I haven't seen someone that oh, tall make yeah. 130. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And what, I mean, the, the impressive thing with Boy Jones is that he, despite the fact he is that tall and he has that range, he doesn't give a shit about using it. He just wants to fight. Yeah. Yeah, he's, <laughs> like like Easter did against Commie. It's just, yes. It's, it's... You have every natural advantage and you dispose of it to get in there and just entertain the crowd. <laughs> like, fair play for that. <laughs> Um, Terry, do you yeah. um, remind me what the name of the guy was that beat Joe Joyce to get the um, the gold the gold medal? The French French boxer Tony Yoka. So I mean, I don't know how much you know about him. Is he going to turn professional? Do you know? And if he did, how well do you think he would do? He he. I don't know what his intentions are. Um, theoretically, he could do another four years in the France system. You know, because they are building a mind, they're, they're building their own boxing miracle, which is, you know, kind of like the Irish model. But my own view is he's not there yet as as a pro. He's not there because I still don't know what his deterrent is. So for me, as a heavyweight, you've got to have a deterrent. It's either that you're so fast, like Tyson, that people get discouraged from throwing punches in case they overcommit or you have a sickening punch. It might be a straight right, it might be a jab, it might be a left hook. But you have something that can turn the fight in your favour. And I haven't seen that from Yoka yet. So until I see that, I'd worry about him in the pros. Maybe he needs to go away because he's quite small for his frame. Maybe he needs to go and add that bulk and, you know, let me follow the, the Joshua workout plan for a year. <laughs> Don't <laughs> and, and see where it goes. Because if he does that, because remember... Joshua didn't really impress anyone in the Olympics. And then out of the box, here comes this monster. So Yoka could be that guy because he, he looks the part. As I keep saying, and John Mahal's going to pull me up on this expression from dress as well to they look the part. He looks the part. You know, you, he could advertise anything and promoters love he? that. How old is he? Yoka, 24, 25. Hmm. So I, I mean, he could, he could do him a full year, couldn't he? But yeah, and remember, this is the lad that's already beaten Joseph Parker, so they boxed in, I think it was like the Junior Olympics. So he, he there's already a story for him in the pros. He beat Joseph Parker quite comfortably from all accounts. Okay, okay. Uh, right, we have one more question, uh, which is from Sam Khan. How do you guys think Dillian White will fare? In his upcoming in his upcoming fight against Lewison, um, especially if his shoulder is eighty five to ninety percent, uh, if he loses his second shot at British title, where could he go? This is a really intriguing fight. Uh, I know Terry is probably more okay with both of them in terms of a personal level, whatever. Ian Lewison, if he can get to Dillian within the first three to four rounds, this fight could be over like quickly. Uh, Ian Lewison is after four rounds he'll lose um would be my assessment of it but for those first four rounds dillian white needs to be sharp he needs to keep lewison off him he needs to protect well against the big right hand of lewison um 
people don't know Lewison. You know, the Sky Sports viewers don't know Ian Lewison. And so they're going to assume it's a walkover fight for Dillian White, but it, it's not a walkover. Well, why has he got to make sure in the first, only the first four rounds? Has he run out of gas or something? <laughs> Ian Lewison doesn't have an engine on him particularly. Oh, okay. um, I'll probably hand it over to Terry at that point because he, he knows the two of them a bit better than myself, but uh, that'd be my assessment. Um... How do I describe Ian Lewison? Ian Lewison has been knocking out grown men since he was 14. Um, he's boxing. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. So Ian Lewison <laughs> is, is a freak of nature. The, the guy, the guy's form in Eskin is ability to punch seemingly without any technique or any balance. He'll knock you out from any position. So if you go back to the late nineties, he was meant to fight David Hay in the amateurs. And they pulled David Hay out because it was like, well, f- forget fighting this Ian Lewison, who's just railroading people. So, so while people generally in boxing don't know who Ian Lewison is, and quite rightly, because he's never been given the breaks in the sport. But he, to, to people who know boxing, he's a guy, you know, as soon as he hits you, he's going to affect you. And Dillian, more than anyone knows this, because there were some torrid rounds in the girls where those guys went at it. These guys know each other. There are no secrets between these two. And that's why, if you notice, you know, Dillian's, yeah, yeah, he's tweeting, but it's not that normal kind of tweet that he was throwing away to guys like Sam Sexton, who he was confident he could beat. This is the guy he knows he's been hurt by. And I take the opposite view. I think after four rounds, they'll both be fucked anyway. So after four rounds, it will just be both of them. Just it would be a war of attrition after that. It'll be a leaning contest from about round yeah. round five onwards. Yeah, it, it'll be it'll be wholly unpleasant Whatever to watch. Mm. But but let's get excited because here you have, you know what I mean. Look, this is this is about the world heavyweight championship of Brixton High Road. That's what this is really about. <laughs> this is about who can get the extra piece of chicken in KFC. This is about who can go into Nando's. I mean, and get that black. This is this is about a small strip of road. Really, it's about who can get on the 35 bus first. This, that's what this is about. This is about when you go into Miguel's, you want to know that you're the top dog, you know. And these guys are bickering. And then, you know, Big Dom Akinladi's just laughing, going, but I have a belt, you know. <laughs> I, have, I have a British belt. You guys don't. So just a quick one for, for Sam Khan, who should be cheering on Ian Lewison because he is the Asia-Pacific heavyweight champion. So, you know, got to be true to your roots. Um, but overall, I think Lewison has a little bit too much for Dillian. So, are we going? Are you going for the Lewison win then? I I am, yeah. Uh, in what way? What method? So I can put on my lab books. It's, well, it's not going to be points. Yeah, there's only a knockout win for Lewison, I suspect. Like, don't expect him over twelve rounds to put on a technical display that's going to leave you <laughs> awestruck. <laughs> it, it, it won't happen. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, uh, the other interesting thing about this is happening on the Ricky Burns undercard up in Glasgow. I suspect they want to steer this fight away from any potential problem in London uh, of these two and their, their fans. I'm not saying there would be, but I think it's probably quite poignant that they've m- taken the fight and moved it up to another fucking country. <laughs> you know, it, it's crazy because I don't think there could be a problem between their fans. Their fans are the same people. Well, that's true. If that makes sense. <laughs> it's the same people. Like, you'd have to fight with yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, 
Yusuf or see happening? Um, I actually think Lewison will stop this in three. Okay. I think uh, I was discussing this with Danny Flexen the other day, the uh, Boxing News fella. Um, and yeah, I just I, I think I think that Lewison just has that bit between his teeth at the moment. He's got a point to prove, an axe to grind, all that stuff. Um, and we saw Dillian White was susceptible to power shots against Anthony Joshua. That's all that Lewison has in his tank is power shots. He doesn't have anything else. So, like, how is he going to handle three to four rounds of those bombs coming at him consistently? If he can get through that, then I think he'll walk it. But I can see Lewison going early. Okay, so what happens if you're both right and Lewison does knock him out? What What does that mean for Dillian White? The experiment's over. Why and that's him. He's 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 washed up. Is he a, is he a dead Chisora or is he? No, nah, he's a level below. You know, look, Chisora is Chisora's a gatekeeper. Like if you beat Derek Chisora, you have a right to fight for a world title. If you beat Dillian White, you have the right to fight for the Southern area. <laughs> right, so yeah, because it sounded like I was a bit disparaging towards Chisora then. Because I I mean I, I I'm not a massive fan of Chisora, but I think that's just, I, I don't I have respect for him though. My personal opinion is that Dillian White isn't good enough and he won't be good enough. That's my personal opinion. I know people that say that, that he's got potential and he will be big. Um, but, you know, we'll see how it plays out. But my, my prediction is that if he loses this, he just doesn't... He becomes British gatekeeper at that yeah. point. Like, Chisora sits a level above at that point. So one of the things I was talking about today with some of the young amateur boxers was... What makes a successful boxer? What takes you from being a guy who can do it in the amateurs to a guy who's winning world titles? And I said, the end is always in the beginning. So when you want to look at a boxer, look at their start point in the pros. If you were in the right gym with the right coaches and the right atmosphere, chances are you will go on to do well. Dillian wasn't. You know, Dillian wasn't. He was a guy who who never really had the coaches. Because look, if you're gonna if you're gonna train out Miguel's you kind of want Chris Oko there full-time or David Pereira, who I know is not involved anymore, or even someone like Ted Bammy, who's working with Isaac Chamberlain. That's who you want, really. You don't want to be floating around trying to find people and trying to get help here, there and everywhere because you don't get that consistency. What you don't get, even more worrying, is you don't get a good philosophy to base your whole game on. Let's take Floyd, for example. Floyd was born into a family where they already practiced the shoulder roll. So how long has Floyd been practicing the shoulder roll? From day one. So when he does it in the ring, that's 30 years of having done it. That's a massive advantage. Joe Calzaghe trained with his father from the amateurs to the pros. And you saw the results of that. So, and this is a message. So when people are always asking questions about who, always look at where the boxers started out. Because if they started out in an elite environment or a tough environment, they'll have a better chance of success than if they were just part of the crowd somewhere. Can I, can I just ask a quick question? We're running out of time, really, but I still want to ask it. What, on a technical level, did Mayweather do when he fought Canelo that Canelo just couldn't handle? Why couldn't Canelo, what couldn't Canelo do? Canelo fell for the bait. So if you go back and watch the fight, what Floyd would do is he'd bait Canelo. Go, look, I want to make Canelo jab. 
and he'd bait him into jabbing. And as he jabbed, Floyd would just step to the right and the jab would shoot over. It's like when he made Canelo punch the ropes. He baited him. But then if you also if you also watch part of that fight, there's a sequence where Mayweather double jabs Canelo through the guard, doesn't really make much contact, booms a right hook to the side of Canelo's head. Does the same thing again, booms a right uppercut to Canelo's chin. At that point there, you're thinking, I have no answer to Floyd. And then people just stop throwing the punches that they'd like to throw. And they start to second guess themselves. And once you do that, your technique falls apart. And that's why Mayweather's always successful, because he forces you out of everything you know. Oh, nicely summed up. Okay, right, we're going to lose Terry um, for the remainder of the podcast, unfortunately. Um, but just before you go, Terry, I want to give you your argue the inarguable. Cause oh, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if Brooks fights Canelo, then we should definitely see Khan versus Triple G. Go. I want Brooke to fight Canelo in Tenerife at about five in the morning <laughs> over who can have the last sausage. Um, that'll be a hell of a fight. And then, you know, it sets up nicely for, 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 for a triple G fight. But to be honest with you, I, I don't know if either of them would leave Tenerife because we, we don't know who's who. I've never seen, you know, we've never seen Canelo with a wife. So I don't know what would happen in Tenerife. Let, let's focus on that one. You know, let's forget about the Glovkin fight for now and let's focus on the fight in Tenerife. I mean, we could get MGM to sponsor that. They could expand their, their territory from Marbella into Tenerife. You know what I mean? MGT. Canelo does have a daughter to clarify. I know he's. Uh... Yeah, but Terry's never seen him with a woman, so. End of night. Barry Moore had a daughter. <laughs> um... <laughs> right. Okay. Thank you very much um, for chipping in, Terry. And oh wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. Before we go, oh. this is for David McGinley. Was there enough analysis in this one? <laughs> we were criticised for being too ranty, so uh, we're, we're going the other route this week. Yeah, we've we been quite studious in our analysis this week, I would have thought, but uh, there you go. Maybe we could just add some more. Let us know, David. Let us know. Maybe we need a hybrid. <laughs> Feedback is always welcome. Okay, Terry, well, I'll let you say goodbye to the uh, fans, and uh, we'll see you next week. As always, guys, take care. Goodbye. Thank you. Make sure you follow New Age Boxing UK, New Age Boxing Podfather, all on Twitter, at The Seven Walls at Twitter. You know, find us on Facebook. We're not hard to find. Engage, get involved, ask questions, you know, get involved, man, because the more you ask us, the more we tell, the better informed everyone is, you know. Then you guys can all show off to your mates. And, you know, for, for Sam Khan, listen, you got lectures soon, man. <laughs> Stop Googling shit. <laughs> thank you Terry okay, cheers guys you, Bye. You later. ok so moving on Johnny Garton versus Tyler Goodjohn was being held down at York Hall for the English welterweight title Martin you were front and centre tell us what it was like yeah no it was uh, Johnny Garton defending making the first defence of his English title against Tyler Goodjohn who um, many listeners will probably be more familiar with when he was fighting down at light welterweight against the likes of John Wayne Hibbert uh, who he fought at the O2 and uh, yeah it was it was kind of looked at as being a potential fight of the year contender I don't think it was quite a fight of the year contender but man it was enthralling 
Um, Good John has been out for, I mean, coming up to a year with a broken hand. He debated retirement because uh, his fight was scheduled previously for the vacant title, which uh, Garton went on and won. And so he's making his comeback. Hasn't had a warm-up fight or a you know, tick-over fight or whatever. He's just gone straight into this against Garton, who's um, got momentum at present, to be fair to say. And so, yeah, they met last night. And you've got, I mean, York Hall, for those that haven't been there, you should go, firstly. It's an experience. Um, but it's a, a compact venue with, it's an old, you know, almost 100-year-old hall. Uh, balcony over the top. There's not a bad view in the place. And you had... 250 I think Garton fans Millwall supporters up on the top balcony uh to the right hand side of me and to the left there were about 200 250 odd good John fans um kind of dual chanting throughout the fight uh, it's just it was a lovely like just being there was a bit like spine tingling um in terms of the fight itself Garton I think he's well he is the natural welterweight out of the two good John was moving up as I say from light welter albeit I'd spoken with Tyler beforehand and you know he was saying this is his natural weight he'd been cheating his body um Garton hurt him in the third round Garton was getting a lot of success with uh the straight one two through the guard of good John um and I think it was the third or the fourth I can't remember now I'd have to go and reread my fight report on it um but really hurt good John and Garton um not that I'm saying there's any direct comparison but it's very Golovkin like in his way of just stalking you down like when you're hurt he just comes in and like he doesn't steamroll you he's quite patient with his work but it's it must if you're on the other end of it it must just drive you insane because like you want that breather and garton's there he's got a very distinctive uh technique he just he keeps his head tucked down into his shoulders he's rocking it backwards and forwards as he comes in and he's in your face and he's just looking to hurt you um and he did that and i have no idea how tyler goodjohn got through the fourth round in particular um and then the fifth, sixth, seventh round, um, Good John was like he was flat. He was he wasn't bouncing around on his feet at all as we used to see him from him. He was like he was hurt, but he was still in there throwing back. He was a danger. But every time he hit Garton, Garton would just smile at him and like close that distance again and step in off the jab. So was Good John outclassed here? <laughs> I wouldn't say outclassed. I think if he he was well in the fight for three rounds. Um, I had him 2-1 up at that point. And then when he got badly rocked by uh, Garton, like, he didn't fully recover in my view. And I say, you could see it in his feet, that his feet movement had... There was no bounce to him. He was quite flat-footed. Um, and Garton, I say, is incessant. Like He mm. would be a nightmare to have opposite you in the ring when you're hurt. Uh, He's the next triple G. I've heard it from you. <laughs> Single G. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, you know he's going to jump up to middleweight next. So he, you know, he <laughs> dominated. <laughs> he dominated the fight then through the middle rounds up until about round eight, when Goodjohn just seemed to get his second win. So despite the fact he'd taken a bit of a shellacking to the point where I say in round four, I, I was genuinely thinking the ref was going to step in at one point, uh, but I think cause it's a title fight. They let it go on a bit. Um, but then I say Goodjohn kind of got his second wind and came into it in the you know the later stages and they stood and they punched each other and they just went to war for like probably six or seven of the ten rounds and I say how Goodjohn did that showed incredible heart 
Um, and Garten, I think, showed that you know, he trains at the Ibox gym with um, Eddie Lamb, who's the coach there. But you know, Bradley Skeet, who's the British welterweight champion, also trains out of there. So that's a very good um, training base to have. Is that you know, if you've got the guy who's the next level up from you, is also then. What I like seeing is, you know, Bradley Skeet was there last night, like, walking down to the ring with him. Um, you know, Garton said that he'd never fight Skeet for the British title. Um, but, you know, he's clearly going to have eyes on it. I think he has to fight um, John O'Donnell next as an eliminator for the British title now, Garton. Uh, but he's he's got momentum at the moment. You know, his single loss in his career came to Sam Eggington in a prize fighter. Um, so you can't really read too much into a prize fighter fight because I mean especially Garten says by his own admission he doesn't fight for the first round of a fight he needs to take a few punches to get himself warmed <laughs> up. up yeah yeah he does <laughs> and you can see it <laughs> who was that boxer uh Oliver McCall he used, yeah. to, used to cry yeah he used to him. cry in the corner as well <laughs> <laughs> who was he fighting that time when he when he just got really got carried away and Lennox Lewis proper balling yeah Lennox he? Lewis uh, <laughs> yeah, world title so strange fight. Yeah, no, he's not quite that level guy no. but he uh yeah, it was just it was a, a good win card. It was a lovely fight to watch, and it was lovely at the end. Like these two guys have punched holes in each other for ten rounds, and then you know they take the gloves off and they stand and embrace in the middle of the ring, like have a laugh with each other. They're talking about what went on in the fight, and like they they've been so respectful all the way through the build up. Was it was it quality boxing? It was amazing. Like at times, it was uh, probably not for the purist at times. Because I say they did just stand in the pocket and trade and fight, but you know, Garton like was a Carl Froch fight. <laughs> yeah, <they're> a little <laughs> bit. Um, you know, Garton was happy to go and take his back to the ropes and let Goodjohn come into him and then try and fire off counters on him and stuff. So Garton showed a few skills. I've actually like, messaged him this morning and he said he wasn't overly happy with his own boxing in it, um, but that's his style ultimately. Is he likes to get into a fight, and it, it was a fight. It was a a fight. <laughs> it's difficult because you watch a, you watch a um like you say like a like a fight a scrap kind of thing and it's satisfying. But then you go and watch um like a, a Klitschko Fury and whilst it doesn't have that same sort of blood pumping exhilarance you 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 look at them having having the sort of like technical prowess and you respect it a lot more it's a, it's two, they're two di- almost like two different sports to some extent they're, yeah you know two people throwing the, the living he- beating the living hell out of each other and two people doing like a boxing chess match almost yeah, yeah. i mean this it almost felt like a you know not that I was alive but when you see the images of the or you hear the stories of the old fights that like you call people would have been like smoking at ringside might be because the smoke was <laughs> love to see that but you know like the smoke was still settling from the smoke machines from the entrances as the two are going at it yeah. and you've got 500 people up on the balconies like cheering their man it was just it was a real like it was a moment it felt like a little bit special and it was it was a good fight and uh, this fight brought to you by John Player Special Cigarettes. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, Garten picked up a unanimous decision uh on points and yeah, it it didn't disappoint. Um I mean one thing I wanted to there were a couple of other noticeable things from the card. Um one thing that struck me particularly was there was a young lad, um I think his name was Jules Phillips, and he was making his debut. Um I chatted to him a little bit in the changing rooms before. And real nice young lad, I think he's only about twenty two done a fair bit of amateur i think he joined the army maybe uh and then he was making his pro debut last night it was just it was a really stark reminder of how um 
hard the professional game is. Like this young lad, he's very baby faced. You know, he looked eighteen. Granted, he's only twenty two, so not a massive difference. But he, uh, yeah, he went in there and he was fighting a guy, Craig Derbyshire, who's a bit of you know, he's a road fighter. He goes and takes on people. He gets paid to go and take on these people. And Derbyshire, I think, fairly early on, realised this kid was wet behind the ears, which. You know, there were some debutants that aren't wet behind the ears. They might have gone and done like um, unlicensed boxing or whatever. So they're they're a little bit more adept, perhaps, or a little bit stronger. Uh, this lad, he wasn't he wasn't ready. I don't think for a professional debut. I think you could see it in his eyes in round one that like fuck, this is now professional boxing. Like these gloves are small. There's no head guard. I'm getting punched by a man who gets punched for a living. Like, he's not bothered about my punches. He, you know, this young lad was quite, you know, bothered by his. So, um, you know, all the best to Jules Phillips. And I hope we see you again. You know, I hope it doesn't deter somebody too much. It was a hell of a, a hard debut fight for him. And he, he lost it on points. He stuck it out for the four rounds. But <laughs> it was it was a real stark reminder. when Because I was sat, like, literally ringside looking into this lad's eyes as he's thinking... I don't want to be here. Like, what time's X Factor on? He must have been like having that conversation with himself as but he's. If this is his debut. What I don't understand is, shouldn't he be making his debut at the O2? Kind of Ben Stoney. Yeah. Why not? That's normal, right? Yeah. No, this is the real life of uh, of what these lads go through. Um, uh, you know, I felt for him because that must have been a very, very long twelve minutes in there when he realised that you know perhaps he wasn't quite ready for this professional boxing game. So. You know, you see loads of kids turn over, you know, very few stick it out. Very few of those that do, you know, make it to British title level. And then you narrow that field even more that make it onto world level. You know, when you see the likes of, you know, Liam Smith, who we discussed earlier, um, you know, and people may say he got outclassed by Canelo, which he kind of did. Um, you got to remember he's in that very small percentage of the the talent pool that have made it through. You know their debut and they've come back for their second fight and then they've made it to ten, and then they've gone on to that British level and you know they've moved through. Like yes, he may have been beaten by the better man last night, uh, Liam Smith, but you know he's still in that very minute pool of people that have made it through that far. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a I suppose it. To some extent, if you think about it, it makes sense. It goes without saying, but but ironically, it is worth saying, worth going over. Like that, it, the sometimes we're watching even even the people you write off as sometimes are oh, rubbish. As, yeah. as as a fan, is you know we do all the time. It's those people that have made like Chisora. He's, he's always seems to lose at that final level. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he's still achieved. Yeah, right? exactly, and got through all of that beginning aspects of the yeah. career and that's not easy you know these lads are selling tickets they're out training they're out working full time it's a hard hard balance to yeah. to keep going um so i say fair play to anyone that makes it through those stages of their career you know taking the loss on the debut that's that's hard to take whether or not we'll see him back in the ring i don't know but you know i hope he he is able to at some point and then, um, yeah, the final part of it was uh, cruiserweight Jose Lopez, who uh, I've had my doubts about Jose before. He's, I think he's now 8-0. and um, I've always been a little bit doubtful before, mainly because his defense has been a bit weak. When I've seen, um, you know, opponents come at him, he tends to go back in very straight lines, hands up, uh, not necessarily by his face, but almost out in like a surrender position of... 
I've always thought maybe there were a few defensive flaws in him. Last night, he was fighting a guy, Russ Henshaw. Um, and Russ Henshaw himself was about 6-1, and one, I think. So, you know, he wasn't he wasn't there to lose, Henshaw. And Lopez, like, toyed with him, schooled him completely. Um, it was his first six-rounder, Lopez. He looked so impressive. And uh, I think, you know, in terms of the southern areas... Um, cruiserweights, you've got the likes of Waddy Camacho, who's a title holder. I think he's fighting Isaac Chamberlain, who's a matchroom fighter soon. Um, but yeah, Jose Lopez is one to watch out for uh, in the cruiserweight division. He was he was playing with his man to the point in the fourth round, I think, fourth or fifth, the referee had to like remind him that he was in a boxing match and he wasn't just there to like dance about a bit. Um, yeah, he's a good-looking lad, huge at the weight. Um and yeah, he's he's a talent. He uh, he could go quite far, I think. So just keep an eye out for him, Jose Lopez. You've heard it here first. Much the same as uh, Single G. <laughs> single G, yeah. <laughs> has been scouted by mine. Okay, let's move on to Chris Eubank Jr. So let me get this right. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, Chris Eubank Jr. is training in the gym with a cruiserweight. The cruiserweight injures him. He then pulls out of his next fight which then nullifies nullifies the point of him being able to claim this third fight defense and then therefore winning the Lonsdale belt outright, which is the only reason that he entered his last two fights. And, well, what have I missed and fill in the rest of it? All right, so we'll fill in the rest of it. So his last fight was the Duran fight, which was the first defense of his British title. So he needs two more to hold it. Now, the Eubank team have always, like, they turned down the Danny Jacobs fight a while back for the WBA regular title um, on the basis that they wanted to win the Lonsdale belt outright because Eubank Senior never did it and it's such a prestigious title. Like, have, they, have they announced that? That was a publicly... No, they've, they've said that, right. Publicly, okay. that's we always why, thought that was the case anyway. No, no, that's why they didn't take the Jacobs right. fight. Um, yeah, so they were looking for the three defences. He was scheduled to fight Tommy Langford in October in Cardiff, uh, which would be the second defence. And now he's had this injury in sparring, um, as you say, against a cruiserweight, apparently, which has left them in a situation where uh, we can read some of the statements shortly, but uh, long and short of it being that they are the, the Eubank team are saying that he's not for the foreseeable future not able to fight and therefore uh, they're going to vacate the title now watching Frank Warren interview today he was saying that uh, the notes he'd seen from the medical or the medical notes that were submitted around why he was pulling out are that it's to do with uh, tennis elbow um, which is actually something I've suffered from myself in the past from uh, my badminton days because I'm rock and roll like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, uh, he apparently had tennis elbow is the, the actual medical reasoning for it. So it's all a little bit um, unknown. So Frank Warren was saying that this is a fight that Eubank never fancied. Um, everyone says that about every Eubank. You know, for a long time, he was said to be swerving Nick Blackwell, for instance, because people thought Nick Blackwell had a style that Eubank <laughs> wouldn't handle very well. So, you know, that that didn't quite turn out to be true. Um, Frank Warren is I'm adamant. I'm not going to say anything about that. So I'll go to hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Frank Warren is adamant that Langford would bring a style that, um, you know, Langford's a workhorse. But Langford, 
in terms of Eubank Jr. likes to fight in spurts, um, but with you know pretty good power. Langford is more fighting consistently, but without the the same amount of power behind it. So uh, Frank Warren's adamant that this was never going to be a fight that Eubank wanted. He's saying that as soon as it was signed off, he was convinced the fight would never actually happen. And it's not going to. Um, so in terms of what I feel, the... I feel like it's easy for him to say that now. Like, you know, and, and easy for him to say, like, I certainly feel like Eubank has come, uh, become a bit more um, consistent in his fights with his, with his sort of like spurts, if you like. They were sort of short and sweet when he was fighting back back in the day when he was fighting Billy Joe, I certainly think it's improved. I don't, you know, I can't, I, I wouldn't say that was his major weakness. Um, yeah, no, I'd agree. I think he's matured. I think it's possibly a nice yeah. way of putting it. I'm not sure what would be his weakness right now. Uh, sloppiness. The fact that he's, you know, the only world level fighter he's ever fought, he got beaten by. Um, that sloppiness, you still see it now. So he jumps into uppercuts and he's fighting fighters, you know, same as Liam Smith was fighting fighters that didn't prepare him for the top level. And mm. that's what got exposed against Canelo. That's the same problem. Like fighting your Nick Blackwells and your Tom Durans doesn't like prepare you properly for fighting Triple G. Yeah, um, I think we touched on this before in one of his fights when, when he's dancing in the ring doing all that showman stuff and you think... Well, if you're fighting someone of some quality, maybe you can start showboating. But when you're beating people that you're clearly better than, and everyone knew you were better than before the fight, yeah. what are you showing us? So what are you showing us? That statement is backed up. I've got the statement here from uh, the Eubank team. So what you've just said is backed up by... This is a statement from the Eubank team. <laughs> it's fucking tremendous. Eubank Junior's management team have advised that, in their opinion... There has not been a fighter in the history of British boxing who has had such a vast chasm of fighting prowess between him and the contenders for the British Championship in ability, speed, strength, <laughs> accuracy and skill since its inauguration by the Marquess of Queensbury in the 1800s. Cheers <laughs> <laughs> right. for the history lesson, Nobed. Um, the stupid thing is you have to kind of agree to an extent when you've seen him fight uh, Blackwell. It's too humble, that bloke. <laughs> Stay humble. Um, you know, the Blackwell fight, the Duran fight, he was clearly a level above and a class above. Um, quite why you would come out and publicly say that, other than to back up your pantomime villain um, reputation, is baffling. There's other stuff in there as well that's pure gold. Like, get your hands on the whole statement, but... Um, yeah, he is clearly levels above. Now, whether Langford is the same level as Tom Duran and Nick Blackwell, <laughs> Frank Warren came out in his interview saying, well, you know, like, um, Tommy Langford is number two in the WBO. Uh, he's ranked three places higher than Chris Eubank. That means fuck all, because the WBO are corrupt as fuck. So, like, <laughs> there's no point in reading into that. Um <laughs> I feel just in the uncomfortable having that recorded on the podcast. Why? <laughs> well, I don't give a shit. <laughs> Sue me, this is true. They're absolutely corrupt as fuck. Um, and there is no way whatsoever... I mean, I'm not saying that Eubank has beaten world-level fighters, but Tommy Langford hasn't beaten world-level fighters. And to suggest Tommy Langford should be ranked number two in any world-ranking organisation is shambolic. Yeah, but he knows Frank Warren. 
yeah, but he's promoted by Frank Warren. Frank Warren sucks a dick of whoever's at the WBO um, and therefore gets his fighters ranked really highly. Now, what's quite amusing is that in that video, Frank Warren talks about... Um, uh, oh, that's it. If Eubank beats Langford, then he becomes the mandatory then, or he's in a better position. He goes up three places. He could become the mandatory to fight Billy Joe Saunders. Eubank doesn't need that. Like Saunders needs Eubank more than Eubank needs Saunders right now. He doesn't... Yeah, I think absolutely. Eubank is far and away a higher profile than Saunders. He's... But like, what what sort of fights could they both look at now? Um, well, I mean, so just going back quickly oh, to that okay. point about the mandatory status, the mandatory status means that if he takes that fight, he only gets 25% of the purse against Saunders. So, like, oh, okay. to suggest that that is an incentive for Eubank to get up to that position, take the mandatory, he gets 25%, Saunders takes 75%, you know that's not going to happen. Well, that's definitely that's definitely worth more for Saunders than it yes. is for you. Yeah. Eubank's got a following, and if he can only take twenty five percent of the cut, when he's clearly going to bring more fans than twenty five percent. Yeah, and Eubank has come out and said, you know, like give me fifty percent of the fight or fifty percent of the purse, and we'll take it. And I think Saunders came back saying, like, I'll give you five percent or something. Like <laughs> a real like piss take of an answer. Um, so yeah, like the the argument from Frank Warren about get yourself into the mandatory to face Saunders is just laughable, frankly. Um, so yeah, but just like quickly on that, on their on their potential fights, what is what is the best fights they could hope for? Like I'm presuming that if Billy Joe Saunders wanted to, he could fight Golovkin because Golovkin don't want his belt. Yeah, um, Golovkin has come out and. It depends who you believe, I suppose, ultimately. But Saunders is saying, send me the contract and I'll fight you on the next available date. So Saunders is fighting um, on the undercard of Tyson Fury in October. So it's not going to be that fight, uh, but the next one after that, because the one on the Tyson Fury undercard will be a shambolic... The WBO will manipulate the the numbers, the top 15, and pick somebody out of the air. So like, keep your diaries free if you're listening to this, because you might get picked by the WBO to fight Billy Joe Saunders in October. Um, the next fight after that, Saunders is saying that he wants Golovkin. Golovkin clearly wants to fight him because he wants all of the titles. What other fights are there? Um, I was chatting with a few people down at York Hall last night when this broke. One of them claimed that uh, Danny Jacobs is the next fight for Eubank, um, that that's already been agreed. I don't know what validity there is to that claim, but Danny Jacobs still holds the WBA regular title. Um, Danny Jacobs is a legit fight. Like That's a, a proper fight. If you're not going to take Golovkin, take Jacobs. Um, and, you know, in terms of when we talk about stepping up those levels, so similar to Liam Smith again, like stepping up those levels before you put yourself in the position to fight the best in the division, Danny Jacobs is a more than reasonable um, name to take that in and around that sort of weight division you've got um, and I say in and around because of Alvarez but like Triple G and Canelo who else would you say are like world level fighters in that area that, that, that if you were the sort of like commissioner for boxing say would put in with each other and know that you'd be getting a good fight. So people, so in other words, people that um, would test Eubank before he steps up to Triple no, G. No, people or? that because um, I think I th- I think most people would say that they can see that Eubank is a level below Golovkin and Alvarez. Who else is at the same level as Alvarez and Can- uh, Alvarez and Triple G? 
There's nobody. I mean, Danny Jacobs is possibly the the one that could step up and fight Triple G and cause him problems. Actually, yeah, probably what I'm best question is who is who is between Eubank and Alvarez? Who could he fight? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's who, who's so that's, that's what I meant. Like, who's the gateway yeah. fighter that he could take on? So, so he's obviously Jacobs is Jacobs one is one. Um, Andy Lee, you know, Billy Joe Saunders won really? the title off him. Okay, Andy Lee hasn't fought since. So why not take on Andy Lee? Um, Peter Quillen, who got knocked out by uh, Danny Jacobs pretty quickly and pretty easily, uh, he still carries name value and would be a good win on the on the record. Those are the kind of names they ought to be talking about. For uh, Andy Lee would be the fight I'd want to see personally um, against Eubank. Yeah, I think oh, why okay. not? It's he, you know, yes, he got beaten, he got floored twice by Saunders, um, but you know, he up until his last fight was a world title holder. Like that's the kind of fighter that you want to be putting in to step yourself up, rather than your Tom Durans of this world. Yeah, I, I found I felt that. Um, I mean, you can argue it sensible and tactical, but that I, I was at that fight with you potentially. For yeah, we were. The, yeah, you know, the, um, Billy Joe versus Andy Lee, and I thought once he'd got those two knockdowns and he'd won. He just didn't. He just parked the bus. The effect of I think I've said it before. Like he just he just shut up shop and did the best he could to to just shut down that fight. And I felt a bit a bit sorry for Andy Lee that he, he was just going to leave it. You know, just wasn't prepared to to box after that. It made sense from Billy Joe's point of view, but it was a bit. I thought it was a, felt a bit shortchanged afterwards. Yeah. Um, but it would be nice to see certainly Eubank to have a more testing opponent. Yeah. Moving swiftly on then. Let's talk about the upcoming fight, as we mentioned a moments ago, that Billy Joe Saunders has been the undercard for, the Tyson Fury versus Klitschko. Uh, well, we're not actually going to talk about the fight as much as we're going to be talking about the platform that it's delivered on, on the TV. So, let me get this right. Box Nation, which you get through your Sky, which you pay for, then you have to pay extra for the Box Nation. Now they're trying to put it onto, or they are putting it onto their pay-per-view newly launched platform. So now you've is behind three paywalls. So to boost their ratings, they're making you pay even more for it. What is going on? All right. So they announced it during the press conference of Fury Klitschko this week. Uh, I've written a whole piece about this on the website, so we won't. You know, we'll kind of give an overview of it. Frank Warren and George Warren. Uh, his son, who deals with the business side of Box Nation, talked a while back about they had access to a pay-per-view platform on Sky. Note, I haven't used the word Sky Sport, it's Sky, so Sky TV. Um, Sky Sports have the exclusivity oh. to Matchroom. Um, yeah, Sky say, TV don't. They have a more open, broad uh, relationship with anyone. So Box Nation have got their uh, Fury Klitschko fight coming up on a Sky pay-per-view platform. So they've announced it. It's quite Frank Warren-esque, really, that you had it with uh, Tyson Fury wasn't there because apparently his car had broken down on the M6 so he couldn't make it to his own press conference. This <laughs> when Klitschko flies in on private jet or helicopter like to nearby, but nah, Fury's car. Right? So you're making this grand announcement of your new... Damn ch- K-Reg polos. <laughs> <laughs> Caravan so stuck on the M6. <laughs> Uh, so you've got this grand announcement about a pay-per-view platform and your world title holder doesn't turn up for the uh, for the announcement. So it just it seemed incredibly flat. It's incredibly flank, uh, Frank Warren. 
so they haven't come out with the commercials of it yet. Aside from if you're just to clarify what you were saying earlier about the paywalls to it, if you're already a Box Nation subscriber at twelve pounds a month, you get the fight for free. Like it comes as part right. of your monthly subscription. If you're not, so those twelve people get it. Those t- <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. If you're not a Box Nation subscriber, you can press the red button and order it. Um, like a usual Skybox office. Like a usual Skybox office. And they haven't announced the commercial side to it yet. But George Warren answered somebody on Twitter the other day saying they haven't decided, but they think it will be £16.95, which is relatively comparable to an Anthony Joshua fight. How... I realise this is a legal loophole, so to speak, but Eddie Hans, surely not going to be like, oh yeah, fair enough, it's not Sky Sports, it's Sky TV, no dramas. Surely that's going to get up his nose somewhere. I'll, I'll come, yeah, we'll come on to right, this. Okay. Right, so uh, the 1695. Um, so in case you don't know how the pricing structure of Box Nation works, you pay £12 a month, but it's an £8 one-off setup fee. So that's the same as if you rang up tomorrow and said, I want to buy Box Nation on my monthly Sky subscription, it'll cost you £20, eight of which will be the one-off fee, um, 12 of which will be your monthly cost. So this is where I'm a little bit like baffled by it all, really. I just think it's £16.95 in total to order it. Now, it's going to cost you £20. So for like £3 more, you could have a month's worth of getting Box Nation. And you do get some good stuff on Box Nation, especially the overseas fights. So I would have thought if you're launching this as like the big launch platform, you would have like a loss leader to it. So you charge like £10 for it so that you get people in and you put on a quality product that night. Okay, that's probably not going to happen. It's Frank Warren. But, you know, you you go out your way to make it a quality looking event for £10 that people will go, wow, shit, this Box Nation stuff's legit. Like, I'm happy to pay £12 per month going forward and the £8 payment fee. Or you charge £16 and you say, £16, but if you sign up to Box Nation, we'll waive that £8 signing up fee, you get it for £12. Something or like that. Pay 16, if, you, if you buy this fight, we'll give you two months or three months free of Box yeah. Nation if you sign up for a further, like basically for a 12 month contract yeah. or whatever. So they may do something like this. Maybe that's mm. what they're grinding out at Box Nation headquarters at the moment. Nah, no point, mate. <laughs> if they just come out and say £16.95 one off fee, I just think it's a completely pointless exercise. You might as well, if you listen to this and you're tempted to do so, A, stream it. B, if you're going to pay for it, fine, but pay for the one month of Box Nation like at £20. But there's no incentive at present to order that to me. Like a £17 essentially price point, there's no incentive to go out and order that. At £10, I might be tempted. Um, when you're saying about the relationship, I, I was tweeting Barry Hearn about this the other day. Um, and he was a little bit, I mean, in, as per all things match room, he gives you a bit of information, but not sufficient information to let you make a, a very educated um, view of it. But he said he was cool about it, that uh, Box Nation have got access to the Sky platform as long as there was exclusivity around um, the Sky Sports pay-per-view side of it, I think. I think... I, I don't know. What difference? That surely that still infringes on his product. The thing is, I think they're quite comfortable. Like, because Matchroom provide the darts, they provide the snooker, they provide the boxing. Those are three mm. high commodity products to Sky, like in terms of viewership. So essentially, they can call the shots a little bit towards Sky because if Sky pissed them off too much, 
they could always say, okay, we'll take our product to ITV. We'll take it. You know, we can go and auction it off somewhere else, and somebody else will take it. I can it. imagine they get a, the. I can imagine it's such a, a mutually beneficial situation that they probably get the most money through Sky. Yeah, yeah. Because, and therefore, and Sky need them. They probably so. don't want to annoy each other. But yeah, I mean, I the other thing that this comes down to then is where do Box Nation advertise? Well, I was just about to ask you that. So does that mean they can't advertise it on any score Sky Sports? Channels? I don't know. But if you can't do that, you're mm. you're pissing into the wind, significant like hurricanes of wind. Because who's realistically interested in watching Tyson Fury, Vladimir Klitschko? Who also watches Heartbeat on UK Exactly, Gold. <laughs> yeah. Or like even ITV, do you know what I mean? Like, you can't guarantee you've got that niche market of sports no. fans. The no. only place you can do that is on Sky Sports. So if Sky Sports mm. agree to advertise this pay-per-view, then that gives them, you know, a running start. If Sky Sports don't mm. advertise this pay-per-view... I don't see how it can come off as a success. See, in terms of the Sky Sports news, I don't. I think they could legitimately say, "Look, we can do anything we want on the Sky Sports news channel, just because otherwise you're sort of compromising our journalistic integrity." And then instead of actually having specific adverts about it, they just talk relentlessly about it and just have almost like exaggerated QVC yeah. like points of just talking about as they do with any the Anthony fu- Joshua fight. Oh well, yeah, um, but maybe they just won't be able to advertise. During the advert breaks, um, yeah, Sky Sports one to five or something. I don't. It's a really odd one because yeah, uh, you know how like they'll preview on Sky Sports News. Anthony Joshua's upcoming fight. Brazil's flew over. They've had their face to face to order this fight. Just press the red button yeah. on your Sky. Maybe they'll do that. I don't know, but whether it's as explicit as having adverts on the channel, if they don't get access to those Sky Sports viewers, this is a pointless exercise to me because who are you going to advertise to? Like either you take a punt at. ITV viewers probably don't care, and probably the majority of people that watch ITV know Tyson Fury as the geezer who slags off homosexuals or whatever. Um, and everyone else, basically, who's yeah. not a white man. Yeah, or if you're advertising on Box Nation, pointless. So where do you go with I it? I can only assume that maybe as well they've taken an educated... You know, thinking about it, the Hearns have taken, and Matchroom have taken an educated sort of look at it and gone, you know what? How many more fights has he got to put on pay-per-view that's not going to involve one of our fighters that's actually worth putting on pay-per-view? And probably come to the conclusion, look, they can do whatever they want with this fight. We're not going to kick up a fuss because we don't foresee this becoming a regular thing. Who, you know, who could Frank Warren realistically put on pay-per-view frequently on Sky? Do you know what? This, uh, like the article I wrote about it, just the gist of it was, this is a letdown of a pay-per-view launch. Like, you've got to do it with a bang, surely. And, like, the amount of momentum this fight has lost that we've discussed over time around yeah. drugs, injuries, etc., legal wranglings. Why the fuck are they not launching it with Triple G versus Billy Joe Saunders? Like, that is the fight you should have launched this yeah. with because Triple G has already been introduced to the casual sports fan in the UK by beating up Kelbrook on pay-per-view, Sky have already, like, piggybacked him to general consciousness. Therefore, you've got an, <laughs> you've got a target audience that are already aware of the man. You throw your own fighter in there with him, and you make it a big event. And then that, you know, there's already a, a public consciousness of Triple G to the sports fan. You've got Billy Joe Saunders. That's a fight that boxing fans want to see. That would have been the one to me that you launch the pay-per-view channel with and you do it 
successfully. I just think this this seems a little bit doomed from the off to me. Uh, has Triple G got his next fight arranged yet? Or no. anything? I don't suppose he has. Um, so it could still could it not still happen? I mean. It could still happen, and it could still happen on a pay-per-view platform. Yeah, it, I mean, at the very least, they might have been able to say, um, you know, we've got this one fight coming up, and then we've got Billy Joe versus Golovkin beginning of January. So get your Box Nation yeah. now, and you can get two fights in the space. But it th- just, this all seems like thought-out business practice and, and, and that something that Box Nation don't tend to do that well. Yeah. yeah. I say, you know, they're the experts on it. Fine. It's just, to me, like as a boxer, it's so underwhelming that this is how you launch it. It shouldn't be. Don't get me wrong. You know, Tyson Fury, Vladimir Klitschko, world he- legitimate world heavyweight title fights. Just there's so many question marks. Will it still happen? Da, da, da. Yeah. Uh, the one advantage they've got now is that people can go down the pub, come home, order it on the red button. And it's there for them. They don't have to fill in the subscription forms on the Box Nation website. They don't have to enter all yeah, your card details. You can yeah. just press the red button. So there's that element to it that maybe those that are slightly more impulsive or whatever will order it on the night rather than have to go through the, the slightly rigorous process of ordering Box Nation. But I say to me, it it's not been done with the fight that I would have anticipated they were going to launch it. Yeah, it'd be fascinating to get hold of the like the viewership figures. Which you know they're estimated. I think they. I did a bit of research on it. They peaked apparently at four hundred thousand for subscribers for Hay versus Chisora. Um, but it's thought that they sit somewhere between a hundred to two hundred thousand on a regular basis subscribers per month. And how much is it a month? Twelve pounds. Oh. Um, so there's money going into it. Yeah, there's definitely it, money coming but out. There's of also it money it. going out of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, not a great deal left to cover, so I think we'll just go straight in with um, your Argue the Inarguable. Highlight of my week and others. (laughs) Terry's one was earlier. Okay, so on reflection, the Sky Pundits are a credit to the sport of boxing. The Sky Pundits are a credit to the sport of boxing because what they do is set a benchmark for the lowest standard possible. Um, So you have a number of journeymen that go around small hall shows. taking new fighters through the the steps of becoming a professional fighter they're renowned as not being the greatest so that's what the the johnny nelson the spencer Fearon is of this world what they do is they set a very very low benchmark that can make others look better they're the the introduction to the sport where you learn how to listen to stupidness so then you can hopefully appreciate what's better on later on in life brilliant you complete that Effortlessly and invented the word stupidness. Stupidness is that yeah. not uh, is that not an OED term? Or? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess that's all that's left from us this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you enjoyed the uh, less ranting this time. Apologies um, at the beginning of the show. Uh, I had some microphone difficulties, so um, I'm not entirely sure how bad that's come through. But uh, on the off chance that it is, yeah, the whole Skype setup stuff doesn't doesn't suit us very well. It'd be fair to say um, we try and keep it quality, not uh, not quantity of people. So <laughs> hence why we don't normally go down the Skype route. So uh, yeah, apologies if that did affect you or the, did affect the quality. But uh, we'll be back in full force next week, the three of us in the one room. So yeah, actually saying that I may not be here next week, but we'll talk about that off <laughs> off microfiche. It occurred to me I might not. <laughs> Excellent. So I well, might be watching some Irish dancing instead. Oddly enough, we might or may not. Well, we'll see you next week. Whatever, we'll in work whatever it out. fashion we manage to ga- <laughs> gather ourselves see if together. Get out of the hall. Long story. Okay. Well, goodbye from me. Take care, one and all. Bye bye. Much love.